Shem's descendants. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Salah. After he begot Salah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Salah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Salah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. After he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Ru. After he begot Ru, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years and begot Serug. After he begot Serug, Ru lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Thank you, Brother Colt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for, um, for what it is that you have um, for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray that um, you will take away every distraction. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. 
You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is a powerful psalm that proclaims to us a powerful God. And and this powerful God that the Holy Spirit through the author of Psalm 139 proclaims to us is not a powerful God that is out there distant and unconcerned with the affairs of the creation that he has made, it proclaims to us a powerful God that is intimately involved and superintending in the lives of the humans and the individuals and of the world that he has created. 
Now, when I use the term superintend, the first thing that probably comes to our mind is a superintendent, like an Arlie, Mike Perry. To superintend means to oversee, direct, or to be in charge of something. And as we have read here in Psalm 139, it proclaims to us God, who oversees, directs, and is in charge of the day-to-day happenings of all mankind. So now, as we come to our passage in Genesis chapter 11, and we consider the genealogy of Shem that led to Abram, I want us to consider that throughout this genealogy, and all that led to to the birth of Abram, that the Lord was superintending. See, the Lord superintends in the affairs of man and He superintends in our lives. And that knowledge and that understanding should lead us to a point of complete trust in Him and His control. We see here in Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 26, that the Lord superintends the lives of man. Trust Him with your life. And then secondly, in verses 27 through 32, we see that He superintends in the circumstances of men that we face, and we shall tr- should respond by trusting in Him with our particular circumstances. So first of all, the the Lord superintends the lives of men. Trust Him with your life. Now it's interesting, when you read here in uh, chapter 11, as Colt read and as we listened, there was a lot of names and he used the term begot a lot. Shem begot and Arpachshad begot and... In my uh, translation, in the ESV, the, the term is, that's used is fathered. So Shem far, fathered Arpachshad, and Arpachshad fathered Shelah, and so on and so forth. In fact, that term fathered, in those verses, verse 10 through 26, it is repeated 17 times. And in addition to that, the phrase that this person had other sons and daughters was repeated eight times. We see it in verse 11, verse 13, verse 15, verse 17, verse 19, verse 21, verse 23, and verse 25. So the Holy Spirit through Moses, as he was writing Genesis, and he is recounting to us the genealogy of Shem... 
was placing an emphasis on the incredible, really as we think about it, the incredible miracle of life. The the incredible miracle of fathering the next generation. The incredible miracle of not only having a son, but having other sons and daughters. I think it's important for us every now and again to take a a minute and to consider what a miracle it is when a child enters this world. And what an incredible gift from God. You see, the world around just sees it as a part of nature. That a man comes together with a woman and the result is a child. But God's word highlights to us something different. In Psalm 127 verses 3 and 5 it says this. Behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. So as we consider this idea that the Lord superintends in the lives of men, it's important for us to understand that He is the one who is the superintendent at the, li- at the beginning of life. He is the one who is in control and he is the one who gives the gift of life. The gift of a baby, of children. What an incredible God. See, the Lord didn't just create the world and create man and woman and then leave it to them to procreate. Yes, there is a responsibility on man and woman, but what the Bible tells us is that any child that is born is born as a gift coming straight from God. Psalm 139 that we read earlier, listen listen to these words. Verse 13 through 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. See, the Lord superintends at the very beginning of every human life. He is the one who knits together every baby. That's powerful. And he is intimately involved 
and the life of every single one born. That means for each and every one of us as well. One day, however many years ago, the Lord knit you together in your mother's womb. See, as we read this genealogy of Shem and his descendants, it's easy to just read, oh, he fathered this guy, and this guy fathered that guy, and this guy fathered that guy, and had other sons and daughters. And it can be easy to skip through that and forget the absolute wonder of the work of God to bring about that new life. And as we consider the miraculous work that God does in bringing new life to the world, it should lead us to give Him thanks. To thank Him for His work in our life. To thank Him for the work that He has done in our children. And the children that they will have one day. And to realize that children are a gift from God. And young people, I want to encourage you. Children are a gift from God. We live in a society that wants to make us believe that children are not a gift, but a curse. They want to make you believe that having children will hold you back from fulfilling your potential. And, and we live in a world that hates children. In a very real way. Not, not all children, but just consider this. Since 1973, when Roe vs. Wade happened, there have been 63 million 459,781 children whose lives were snuffed out in the womb. It's unreal. Sixty three million four hundred and fifty nine thousand seven hundred and eighty one. Babies whose lives were taken from them while they were being knit together in their mother's womb by God Almighty. Praise the Lord that there is grace and forgiveness and cleansing for all who have either been the recipient of an abortion or who have participated in any way. And we thank the Lord for his cleansing and his grace that is given. But there's also a sobering reality that goes along with that. We live in a world 
that does not believe the simple truth that children are a gift from God. We now, as the children of God, have an incredible opportunity to thank the Lord, to thank the Lord for our life and that he knit us together in the womb, to thank the Lord for the lives of our children, And young people, to pray that one day the Lord would entrust you with many children to raise to know Jesus. And for those who have been affected by the sin of this world regarding children, to seek the Lord and ex- experience His grace. Because the line of Shem didn't end with Abraham. Abram that we read today. It ended up preparing the way so that one day there was another child that was born. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Born under the law to redeem Those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And the reason, one of the main reasons why the Holy Spirit led Moses to write about the descendants of Shem was because they they were the forefathers of Jesus. Who would be born to the Virgin Mary, who would live a perfect life, who would die for our sin, who would be buried, who rose to life, who ascended on high. Now all who look to him will be cleansed and forgiven of sin, even bloodshed. And whatever complicity that we would have in it. And we would receive his cleansing, his forgiveness. And it can lead us to that point of thanking the Lord for the gift of life. And that he is the one who superintends at the very beginning of life. Thank him for that. Thank him for that. But not only does he superintend at the beginning of life... I also want us to consider that he superintends or he controls each day of our life. And it should lead us to entrust each of our days to him. Psalm 139, once again, it says in verse 16, you, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. What what an incredible picture we are given here. That Yahweh, the one true and living God, has a book. And in that book, he had written out what each day of this psalmist's life was going to be before David was born. Talk talk about administrative genius. And, And it says that in his book he had 
written out what each day would, would be and that it says each day that you had formed for me. And that, that word means to fashion. So in, in the same way that an artist fashions something, as Duncan fashioned this pulpit, the Lord fashions each day of our life. Now, now consider that as we go to Genesis chapter 11 and we think about each one of these men. See, in Genesis chapter 11, as you read the genealogy from verses 10 through 26, it never uses the phrase, and he died. Earlier in Genesis, when you go to Genesis chapter 5, there's a genealogy there, and it is, uses the term, and he died, over and over and over again. But in this passage, it just highlights that they lived. That they lived. In fact, 16 times the word lived is repeated. It's in verse 11, verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, verse 25, verse 26. They lived. And now as we consider the truth that we read in Psalm 139, it gives us the insight that the Lord predetermined every single day that each one of these men lived. So for Shem, he lived 600 years. That's 219,000 days. You see that in verse 10 and 11. Arpak Shad, he lived 438 years. That's 159,870 days. Verses 12 through 13. Sheila's, he lived 433 years. That's 158,045 days. Verse 14 and 15. Eber, he lived 464 years. That's 169 and 360 days. Peleg, 239 years. That's 87,235 days. Verse 18 and 19. Ryu, 239 years. That's 87,235 days. Seruk, 230 years, that's 83,950 days. And Nahor, 148 years, that's 54,020 days. It's kind of mind-boggling. The Lord fashioned each one of those days for each one of those individuals. Now consider, as of 2021, there are 7.67 billion people on the planet. And the Lord 
is fashioning and forming and knows in his book, it is written out, each day for each one of those individuals. Now let's bring it home. The Lord is fashioning and forming the days of your life. Before you were even born, in his book, he had written out each and every day, and he fashioned it for you. See, you may feel at times like God is far away and that he doesn't care about you or that he's not involved in your life. I'm here to tell you he cares. I'm I'm, I'm here to tell you he's involved. I'm here to tell you that he is fashioning each and every day. And he loves you. And he knows the days of our life. He knows what our end will be. Whether it was like our nephew who was 18 years old and a year ago his life was taken from him. As he ran that car into that tree. Or Aaron's grandma who was 89 years old almost 90 years ago. Almost 90 years old, and you had a stroke. For each of them, the days of their life had been predetermined by the Lord and written in His book. And for us, each day the Lord has fashioned that should lead us. Every day to entrust that day to him. And say, Lord, it's not my day, it's your day. It's not my life, it's your life. And I know that you are intimately involved. You are superintending in my life. And I entrust this day to you. And I thank you. See, the Lord superintends in the affairs of man. Trust him. Last of all, the Lord superintends in the circumstances of men. Trust him with your circumstances. We see this in verse 27 through 32. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson. And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son's his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. 
This recounts to us the beginning of Abram. And as we continue on through the book of Genesis, the Holy Spirit focuses our attention to Abram and his descendants. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the Lord focuses on the history of the whole world. In the end of chapter 11, coming into chapter 12, the focus is narrowed to this one man, Abram. And in fact, Abram is one of the most um, famous men of history. Because if you consider the major religions of the world, each of them point back to Abram as their start. The Muslims will point back to Abram. The Jewish people will point back to Abram. And the Christians will point back to Abram. Here, we are given an introduction into his life and into the circumstances that were surrounding the Lord's call upon him. And those circumstances were not easy. Consider this. Abram's dad, Terah, lost one of his sons. You see that in verse 28. Haran, one of Terah's sons, Abram's brother, died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Can you imagine that grief? The, the grief of a father mourning a child? And even for Abram, the grief of a brother mourning a brother. In the midst of it, the Lord was working. And... and we aren't told all of the details, but it's interesting. It highlights the death of Haran. And then it highlights in verse 31 how Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Who knows if the grief that Terah experienced in grieving his son may have been part of the whole plan for him to move on. We don't know. What we do know is that the Lord was working in that circumstance and in that grief. But not only the grief of, of loss, and what we would think is untimely loss, but also the grief of infertility was experienced by Abram and his family. You read that in verse 30. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Verse 
infertility is a heartache and a grief that's hard to put to words. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, starting in verse 15 through 16, it says, Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, or the grave, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. So for Sarai to have a barren womb and for Abram to have the understanding of not being able to have kids was like a fire that can never be quenched. Was like dry land that could never get enough water. And was like the grave itself. If Abram and Sarai were to choose the path for their life, they would not have chosen infertility and barrenness. But the Lord was working. And also in verse 31 through 32, we see the Lord superintends and works in the midst of unmet desire. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah led his family with the goal and the purpose of going all the way to Canaan. They didn't make it. They stopped in Haran. And there's different people who speculate about the reasons for that. But there's something to be said about the disappointment of an unmet purpose or desire in our life. We've all experienced that. We've had grand ambitions and goals and purposes that we set out to fulfill. And for one reason or another, we're stopped short. That can be hard to deal with. That disappointment. But as we we will see in the weeks ahead that the Lord was superintending in all of it. He was working. And he was working in such a way that Abram's life and story would become a trophy of his grace. Now let's consider our lives. The Lord is working in each of the circumstances that we face on a daily basis. There's things in our life that if it was up to us, we wouldn't have chosen it to be the path of our life. There are people who we have lost, who were loved ones and who were near to us. And if it was up to us, we wouldn't have chosen that path of grief.
And, and maybe we haven't experienced the pain and the sorrow of infertility physically, but maybe we sense a barrenness in another arena of life. And, and, and maybe as we have set out on our, the journey of our life, there have been plans and desires that we were pursuing, but for one reason or another, it was cut off. And we experience disappointment. God's word proclaims to us that he is still there. God's word proclaims to us that he is still superintending our life. He is still in control. And he cares and he knows. You know how I can say that for sure? It's because in Acts chapter 4 verses 27 through 28, it tells us that the Lord predetermined that Jesus would go to the cross. That He would go through hell for us. Would Jesus have picked that out? In fact, in the garden, he says, Lord, if there's any other way, take it from me. Take this cup. But not my will, but yours be done. And he took the full wrath of God as he hung on the tree and he was murdered. And he died in our place. And he was buried and he rose to life again. And he proclaims to us that in all of the circumstances of your life, he is working. He is superintending. He is leading. He is guiding. And you can trust him. You can trust Him with your disappointments. You can trust Him with your failures. You can trust Him with the barrenness. With the grief. Trust it all to Him. Know that He is intimately involved in your life. See, think of your life and all that the Lord has brought you through to bring you where you are today. And know that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. See, the Lord superintends the affairs of man. Trust him. Trust him. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me.
It is high. I cannot attain it. Father, we thank you that you are intimately involved in our life, that you are superintending. We thank you for the life that you have given us. We thank you that you have numbered our days. And Lord, we thank you that you are superintending even in the difficult circumstances that we face. We thank you for our dear Lord Jesus who came and experienced the hardship of the cross for us. He was buried and he rose again victorious and has ascended on high. And returning one day. Come Lord Jesus, come. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.